0: Hey, everybody. You've counted on restaurants for maybe all your life. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door. And ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. And with over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code Advantage. That's $5 off your zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Advantage. Don't forget, that's code advantage for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Hey everybody Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage the podcast. I'm joined as I am every midweek by Pierre LeBrun. Pierre, I, it's so much. There's a ton of stuff, ton of hockey news, everything that I want to get to. But I'm I'm so curious. I was so jealous to hear uh, your adventures earlier this week. And I think it's okay to talk about this. We had, we had our good friend and a good friend to the show, Bob McKenzie, Bob's son, Sean, you had our good pal Chris Johnson, you had a meeting of the Canadian broadcast, sports broadcasters all (laughs) in your your area there. I I was so excited, but but I need to know, was there a TSN victory over Sportsnet at either golf or shuffleboard? I just need to know.
1: (laughs) It did not end up breaking down that way. We all played our own golf (laughs) game, lots of fun, uh, by the way, in your intro, when you talked about the midweek, you mean like this is the real two-man advantage podcast. I think this that's is the real 2 say, man. Not the <laughs> fake news ones that you're doing in my absence. Uh, but Thank I you for to, retweeting those. <laughs> yeah, I have <laughs> yeah. to admit that, uh, and you know that Chris Johnson and I have uh, won a few games over the years uh, in the media shuffleboard games that we've had in different bars over the years during our NHL uh, trips. But we were upset in a best of seven by the uh, father and son Mackenzie duo. It was quite a moment. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. And, it, you know, it was nice of you. You know, Bob is sort of sliding into semi-retirement, so it was nice of you to give him a nice gift there. But uh, <laughs>
1: I didn't give him anything. He took it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, I, I bring it up only because it, it's such a strange, I mean, all of this has been so strange, the, the, uh, the pandemic and the pause and, and the return to play, and, and you know, it's been so exciting to watch the games and the ebbs and flows and all those kinds of things. But honestly, it just feels I miss that part of the playoffs where, you know, you and I and our colleagues from hither and yon, north and south, you know, part of the whole dynamic of the game for me, and it's not just the reporters, but, you know, seeing the coaches and the GMs and the staff and having the interaction you know, outside of the games themselves, mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I I, I, find that I miss that a lot. So when I heard that you guys were getting together and and, and having all kinds of fun, it it did make me, it makes me long for that. But I wonder, I wonder how you feel about it too, because you've been, you're like everyone else. You sort of, you're separate from that kind of contact that we normally have during this time of the hockey season. Yeah, and that's
1: been the tough part is not, Being in the rink to see practice and line adjustments and whatever you may or may not glean from uh, practices and morning skates, which frankly, as you get close to the cup final, become less and less meaningful because your coaches are trying to keep the players off the ice. But still, there's a lot to glean from it. Sometimes it's tactical, but sometimes it's more the body language of the players after a tough loss, right? You know, I wonder how they are today, you know. Are they joking around on the ice, uh, or you know, are they getting barked at by the coach? You're missing all that right now by not being allowed access to that, and and that is tough. But listen, it, a lot of things are tough right now. We still have COVID, so it is what it to. is. At least, at least we have hockey, and um, yeah. you know, until the world comes back to normal, that's what it is. So, um, well, but but on the other hand, I will say this: I while I miss. You know being on the road and 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 all of us hanging out together and and all that uh I don't know that I miss getting on an airplane that much I'd be quite <laughs> quite honest with yeah. you so that part by the end of the playoffs as you know I get a little cranky after all the travel, so at least uh, I don't have to deal with that
0: someday when you and I write the book about uh, about our experiences, we will have a special chapter on flying and and some of the well, some of the adventures that we've had on planes, or some of the interplay we've had with different uh, people on planes, so I, I think that would I would read that chapter. So yes. I'm with you. I I don't I don't miss those you know six a.m up and trying to get to an airport to try and get ahead of uh, players and teams to get to another city for an off-day skate or whatever so um but it, you give you provide a nice segue uh and and maybe right off the top we'll tackle some of the the on-ice activity and and you mentioned you know how do players respond from tough losses and in games that were played the night before we're taping this before the real two-man advantages you like to to put it <laughs> two teams Bouncing back in, and you know, again, you, you don't want to be hyperbolic, but I felt it was pivotal for both Tampa and for Vancouver to even their series against Boston and Vegas, respectively, given just the given the nature of the competition, right? Boston and Vegas are they're rolling They 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 are uh, uh, they're playing playoff hockey. And I felt it was important for both Vancouver and Tampa to to show that they were they were up to the task as opposed to falling behind 2-0, which would have made things very, very difficult. And both Tampa and Vancouver responded. Of course, Tampa with an overtime victory over Boston. Andre Palat with a uh, greasy goal to give the uh, Bolts the win in an emotional night. And Vancouver, holy cow, Tyler Toffoli coming back in the lineup, lighting it up early. Um, every time I'd like to think that maybe Vancouver might be hitting a bit of a wall or might be facing too steep a curve, uh, they proved me completely wrong. And I wonder what you made of... Let's start with Vancouver and, and Vegas. It, that team, I, I just... I, I love what Travis Green is doing there.
1: Yeah, and I think I agree. That was a huge moment early in each of those series. Although if you forced me to to rank which one was bigger, it's probably Vancouver in my mind, just because they are the younger team. They're sort of finding their own path here as, as they become a contender. And I think had they gotten swallowed up alive again in game two that would have been a mighty short series like i just think their confidence would have taken such a hit so good on them they they really did come out uh with a lot of juice uh they were pretty outplayed in the second period you look at the shot yes. at Las vegas which was just piling it on but uh markstrom was uh, sensational as he has been for the last couple of years for the vancouver canucks um and you know vancouver scored some five on five goals um which has been an issue. You know, they've relied so much on their power play, especially against the Blues. It's not really a recipe for success if you're going to win a cup one day, right? You can't, I mean, yeah. first of all, the power play chances start to diminish as you go on because, of course, that makes sense. But <laughs> the deeper you go in the playoffs, you're, you're, you're <laughs> going to get fewer looks on the power play. So you can't make that your, your your only means of scoring. So I thought it was important for the Canucks to... To find offense, five on five, uh, to Foley being back was huge for them, right? Um, um, I thought he really provided a spark. So again, I think Vegas will probably look at the tape and say we still did a lot of great things there. Um, but for Vancouver now, they, you know they can feel like they're in a series. You know, I think with the Lightning, I wouldn't have been as concerned about them being down to nothing because I thought that they 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 had some really strong stretches in that game with the Bruins, Scotty. But it might have been a little demoralizing to lose in overtime if you're Tampa because of that, because of all the good things that you did. And then the Bruins just have a knack of always coming back on you. And I'll tell you this, for all the good things Tampa did, they still don't have an answer for Bergeron's line. I mean, when Bergeron and Marshawn and Pasternak are, are out there, it feels like they spend the entire shift in Tampa's zone. And that's, and that's obviously an issue
0: here. Yeah, and of course, this is a Tampa team that w- was without Ryan McDonough. Um, I thought it was interesting because... Uh, um we saw um, Luke Shen and Braden Coburn come into the lineup and I thought mm-hmm. both of those guys played pretty well and uh you know I think of uh, you know, I talked to Luke Shen earlier in this season um you know he's sort of splitting time between the American Hockey League and the big club and um it, you know it was interesting to see both those veteran guys come in John Cooper going with the uh, 7d uh in Ryan McDonough's absence and it, it's it's just interesting to see how John Cooper has, You know, sort of massage that lineup, and I want to I want to ask you about the players that are making contributions to that Tampa um, effort right now. So many of them are new additions, and we, Mm -hmm. you know, how often do you and I, you know, we break down the trade deadline? We break down. You know, additions, trades, free agencies, and and so many times it's like, geez, that didn't really fit, or it didn't work, or that player didn't, it took too long for them to, to get into a groove, and yet, you know, you got Blake Coleman scoring twice last night, he's set up by Zach Bogosian, and I, not just because I wrote about him last week, but you know a guy who basically was fired by the Buffalo Sabers earlier this year before signing right before the deadline um, with Tampa, uh, playing huge minutes, playing with Victor Hedman, uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, what a what a nice series he. Well, I, I thought he was very good towards the end of that Columbus series, and he's carried it over into the series against Boston, uh, picking up some some nice offensive. Um, Moments there, um, you've got Pat Maroon, who helped set up the overtime winner. Of course, signed in the offseason after winning a cup in St. Louis. Sometimes it doesn't work, but it it does look like Julian Brisebois has has got brought in pieces that are making a real difference right now.
1: It's absolutely fascinating, and who knows if they can end up being the Bruins or not? And they're gonna have their hands full, but. You know, Tampa could have gone one or two ways after getting swept in shocking fashion by Columbus a year ago. They could have stuck their head in the sand and say, and, and and you know, sometimes this also works. I'm not saying that there's an automatic reaction that you should have, but they could have said, that's a one-off. We believe in all our skill. We'll, we'll get back off the mat next year. But, and I know that the Lightning have, you know, downplayed some of their moves as a reaction to Columbus. I get it. But the reality is, and you know, I love saying this, actions speak louder than words. They added over the past 15 months, Maroon, Bogosian, Goudreau, Coleman. I mean, if you don't see a line between all four of those players, (laughs) I don't know what, you know, what you're seeing because they've added a lot of sandpaper. Now those are good hockey players too. Um, But, it's just added a, a different fabric to a team that I already had unbelievable puck possession skill and, and coming out of the coming out of their ears, but they've added an element. I think that you need at playoff time to grind, grind out some wins and geez, you just, you, you perfectly described what happened in game two with Coleman's big night and Bogosian's big night. I mean, again, those guys weren't there last year and, um, I just think Julian Brisebois had a a terrific reaction to last year. Not tearing it apart, still got all the skill guys, right? But adding some elements that I think they needed. And, you know, not to bring all things back to the center of the corporate hockey universe in Toronto, but it's don't you think it's interesting if you're Kyle Dubas right now watching the Lightning? And, you know, the Leafs lose to Columbus, Tampa loses to Columbus last year. What did Tampa do? What do people think the Leafs need? I mean, there's, there's such symmetry there for me in terms of a skilled Leafs team that I don't think their current roster was set up for long-term playoff success, but they're also not far off with a few tweaks and, and you know, more than a few tweaks. I mean, they need a major upgrade on defense. But in terms of the grind element, you can address that, and I think the Leafs need to.
0: See, I love it. You know, I love this. I, I, you know, I make notes like I I try and get ready for these things. And, you know, but this isn't uh, this is a terrific segue. I, I do want to circle back to a, a couple of things on in potential free agents for the Lightning. And I definitely want to circle back on what's going on in, in terms of goaltending in Vancouver and Vegas. But you mentioned the Leafs and coming off a rather astounding Day for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Pittsburgh Penguins, even in the middle of the second round of the NHL playoffs, two high-profile teams making. I don't know. Does it does it count as a blockbuster? Uh, with the uh, Kasperi Kapanen returning to the Pittsburgh Penguins for a, a, a very uh, attractive package that includes a first-round pick in um, in the twenty twenty draft uh, and other. Um, you know, very highly thought of prospects. I, I think it counts as a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Agree? Disagree?
1: I think it is a lot, a lot of parts in that deal. Now, some of them may end up not having much of a factor at the end of the day, but some will, and certainly captain going one way in the first round pick and uh, Hollander is a prospect the least really like, and that was really the, the gist of it. We'll see what they do with, uh, you know, Evan Rodriguez, who, um, you know, is RFA, but I don't know that the Leafs could qualify him at 2 million, right, Scotty? So we'll, we'll see right. what happens there. I think they may try to convince him to sign for less, but, um, you know, the Leafs had asked around to teams. I'm told literally within a day or two of being eliminated by Columbus, Kapanen was put in play and what the Leafs wanted. And they made it clear to a lot of teams was a first round pick and a top prospect. And, uh, a lot of teams blushed at that price and said, no, thanks. Good luck with that. And, and Kyle Dubas understood that, but he, you know what? He got it. <laughs> he got it from the yeah. Pittsburgh Penguins and, you know, gives them cap flexibility, uh, you know, which they're going to need to try and bolster their blue line. Uh, they got so, so much offensive talent on front. I, I don't think they're going to miss Kapnan a whole lot. Although he's a very good penalty killer. Um, and listen, for the Penguins, I, I think they overpaid. But I also know that to get a younger, fast skating forward that can fit in their top six is easier said than done. One who signed a pretty good contract, you know, a deal that they can absorb. So I think it's an overpay, but I also understand the context of, hey, if the Penguins win a cup in the next year or two again, Jim Rutherford's not going to care. right? I mean, this is about trying to kick the window open one last time around Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. So I get it from both sides, but I don't agree with the, I've seen, I saw a lot of the assertion uh, on Tuesday that both sides were winners in this trade. We'll see. The Penguins win a cup, I guess, for sure. But right now, at first blush, I think that the Penguins overpaid and, and the least made a hell of a deal.
0: when I saw this going down and, and, you know, we were doing some stuff at The Athletic responding to it, and it made me think back to, I mean, literally, you know, the Penguins in the Crosby era made the playoffs for the first time in 07, went to -to back-to-back finals in 08 and 09, and then, of course, ultimately won back-to-back cups in 16 and 17. From almost from the moment that that team surprisingly made the playoffs, lost in five games to Ottawa in 07, the Penguins first under Ray Shiro and then under Jim Rutherford uh, as a general manager have done this almost every single year. They swing for the fences every single year. And and I, listen, I I get the, I get the naysayers, I get the, you know, it's not, and you're it, it, right on paper, it doesn't, you know, this is not, it's not a particularly good deal for the Pittsburgh Penguins understanding the landscape of the NHL. But you know what I love about it? It's like, listen, we got Sidney Crosby, we got Evgeny Malkin. They are not young men anymore, and you know what? We're going to swing and swing hard until that until the, the, we the moment comes where we, we they are not capable of winning a Stanley Cup. And I think that's, I think it's exciting. It, it, you know, it must be nerve wracking if you're a Penguins fan because it's, you know, it's hard to build for the future. You know, but this is year after year. It's like okay, let's take another run at it. Not, I, I kind of like that idea.
1: No question. I mean, as long as you have. Crosby Malkin still doing their thing and there's still lots of tread left on those tires. You know, you can't go to those guys and say, let's retool.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. so, so I
1: get it. And that's why, by the way, in a very direct parallel, that's why I think Brian McClellan and the Caps have been so aggressive in their off season decision to fire Todd Reardon. And I think they want to bring in a veteran head coach who's going to, you know, try to grab a veteran core and, uh, and and shake them up a little and get them going for another run. I mean, these teams aren't wasting time, right? They they know that time is now and, and, and they're trying to win again. So uh, I, lo- I love all that. And listen, the Penguins have done a good job of finding players in other ways, right? I mean, you know, I, I think of, uh, you know, I, I think of the way the Penguins found, for example, uh, John Marino, right? I mean, they're paying him peanuts. He had an outstanding year um, yeah. And, and, you know, he's a guy that any team could have had and, and the Penguins found him. And, uh, and that's, so that's some of the hidden value that they've been able to, to find, um, you know, that, uh, that they have to do, um, you know, former six round pick at the Oilers who went on sign and then Penguins jump on him. That's a type of example of why the Penguins feel they can trade first round picks and, and try to stay. You know, into the cup contender bracket.
0: Yeah, I, we're going to take a break in just a second, but you, you bring up the Washington Capitals. You know, for me, I guess the question is, when do you when do you have to say, okay, we 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 can't keep doing this? And we've seen Chicago do that, right? Like that was the interesting part about watching the Blackhawks knock off Edmonton in that play in round. And you've written about this. You're, I thought your your piece, your conversation with Stan Bowman was was enlightening because that is a team that got to a point, you know, with a Stanley Cup core, you know, three cups in six years, right? Is that right? Yes, mm-hmm. three and six. And they they had to they had to move on in some ways, right? And so they got good young kids, and some of them grew up during the pause, and and they and they were full value for being Edmonton. I'm not sure where they are in their sort of retooling, but it was interesting to watch them. Both Washington and Pittsburgh, for me, you know, that's two years in a row where the Penguins were like, really? Like, you get swept by the Islanders last year, look completely out of sync, and could never seem to muster that emotional response to a a, a very hardworking, solid, surprising Montreal team. And Washington, the same, you know, they get beaten, double overtime in Game 7, uh, in Todd Reardon's first year as head coach after Barry Trotz left. Okay, you'll mm-hmm. cup hangover, all that kind of stuff. Man, they looked, they just looked so lifeless as Barry Trotz and the Islanders steamrolled them in five games. They were lucky to win the one game. And I wonder, you know, that we talk about the window closing all the time, it's such a cliche, but there is does come a time when you're like, okay, do we really have enough left here? And, and to your point about Brian McClellan, do you think finding the right coach for the Capitals, is, is that enough to, to to see this team come back and, and maybe take one more or two more runs at it?
1: Yeah, I do think it can have a pretty big impact if he hires the right person. And, and you know, as we've, re, we've reported and others have as well. I mean, Gerard Galan and Peter Laviolette will figure pretty prominently, I think, in Brian McClellan's interview process. But we'll see where he ends up. But he mentioned experience twice in his media availability after firing Todd Reardon, and I don't think it was by mistake. I think, I think he feels there are some of his core players that you know need to be reminded of you know the work ethic and the kind of structure that it takes to to repeat as champion. I don't think there's any concern with Alex Ovechkin. I thought he was almost the only player with fire in his eyes in that playoff loss to the Islanders. But you know, I think a guy, I think a guy like Kuznetsov can be frustrating at times for the Cats, right? Uh, yeah. So much talent, are, you know, unbelievable talent, but it's it's fleeting at times. And I think he's not alone. There are other players on the team too. And so I think what Brian McClellan wants is whether it's a Laviolette or a Land. Um, and I do believe that the Caps will at least want to have a conversation with Mike Babcock, even if it doesn't go anywhere. But that type of coach to come in and and, and really instill accountability, but also. From a player perspective, know that if it's a galan or a laviolette, that that there's instant respect once those guys, because of what they've accomplished, walk in the room, right? Yep. That's you know, and I know there's some great assistant coaches and HL coaches that deserve a look and 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 but I don't think that's the time now for Washington. They just did that. They just promoted Todd Reardon. And by the way, I think Todd Reardon might come back and, and be a good coach one day after learning from all this. Um, but I don't think it's time for the Caps to take another chance. I think the Caps have to go with the the tried and true here, and uh, you know who knows maybe you know we don't know what Gallant and Laviolette particularly want, but I would think the chance to coach you know that core would be appealing to both of them.
0: Yeah, I'm fascinated to see which direction they go because, and for both those teams, for Washington and Pittsburgh, it really man it's been it's it's been difficult to watch them because they have not achieved what you know the their rosters suggest they should be capable of achieving so uh, all right we're going to take a break and we'll come back and i will ask you more questions because that's what i do so <laughs> we'll be right back our sponsor today manscaped has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels Baluga, did you hear that that's your moose asking for Manscaped. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin safe TM technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, both. Super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the perfect package kit, you get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of my favorite parts of the collection. The Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology, while keeping your pride and joy supported. So, get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. One more time, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, Always use the right tools for the job. When we do this, do you ever think, uh, you know what, I'd like to ask Scott about uh, 20 different questions. Or, but this seems like a nice little rhythm. But, you know, anytime you want, and especially given the threat of lawsuit that you have raised with, the, uh, with my mini uh, two-man advantage podcast, which I will mention run Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday morning during the playoff uh, run here. Uh, feel free if you've got some questions you want to ask me. Just You know, I'm just opening that door for you.
1: Well, I do, I do uh, actually have a question because this was mentioned to me uh, the other day by an executive on a team who was saying he wonders if there's a danger in overvaluing both the tremendous disappointment that your team may have had in the bubble or the surprising run that your team had in the bubble, one way or the other. And he's in the mind that teams better be careful not to overreact either way. And I thought it was an interesting thought because you're in the bubble, everything's different, it's weird, you're not traveling, you're not playing in front of enemy fans you know five months off and then there's this tournament he, he just feels that while he wouldn't take anything away from whoever wins the cup because it would be a heck of a grind especially you know being away from your families and living in the bubble all that time but he still thinks that if you're one of the teams that got knocked out early do you have to be careful that you don't overreact I wonder what you think of that thought
0: oh that's a good question and actually i've been, i've been thinking about it as well and and i uh, to me you have to yeah you have to be really careful uh on either side of it and i think you have to i have to think i think you have to be really honest with uh, you know when you look at your team and maybe that's always the case let me get i think the perfect example for me is calgary mm-hmm. right like i th- i thought you know I, I thought they were i i thought they showed a lot in beating Winnipeg. But in the way that they sort of faded against Dallas, I'm wondering now if it's just because Winnipeg was so beat up. <laughs> Maybe they weren't right. that good. And I think it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, Brad Living, who, who is, you know, has been on our show and I think is a very measured guy. And I like how he's responded because there's a lot of criticism of the top players on that team. Because Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan, um, you know some of the other top end guys who weren't very productive against Dallas that's a series they had you know they were on the verge of taking control and let it get away from them Mm um you know Cam Talbot in goal um you know Jeff Ward the interim um head coach there well pretty critical decision to lift Cam Talbot in game six when the game was tied 3-3 and that backfired pretty dramatically um I, I think that's one of the teams that you're talking about you have to be really careful um, but that's two years in a row now that a team, you know, that they really haven't responded to pressure moments. So uh, I think, like, to me, I don't, I don't know, if you can't respond to pressure moments in the bubble and you can't respond to pressure moments outside the bubble, Does is that the indicator that maybe you don't have the right mix? I don't know. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, and I think, here's the thing, I don't know if you're Calgary that you can call it a, a, a one-off in the bubble because I think actually... Calgary maybe feels a bit like Pittsburgh and Washington in the sense that it's not just this year, that the disappointment is from the last couple of years. So I don't mind those teams taking a hard look because it's not just about what happened in the bubble, right? Um, And and I felt all year, and part of it is because I heard some rumblings about some interesting conversations the Flames were having with other teams before the trade deadline, even though nothing really happened. I felt all year, even before COVID and before the pause, Scotty, that this was a pretty big season for the Flames core, that everyone there was taking a hard look at whether, you know, this is going to work. And again, easier said than done than to shake up your core and make some big moves here in the offseason with the flat cap. I mean, it, you know, maybe it's too hard, right? Can't give away good players. The only way you make a big trade is if what you're getting back is a real... You know, you're getting equal value and, and you're, I'm all for changing the mix, but as long as you're not, you know, selling 25 cents on the dollar and Brad Tree Living is way too smart for that. So it'll be interesting to see what is actually out there for the Flames. Um, you know, maybe in a normal pre-COVID offseason, it would have been a little easier to shake things up, but we'll see here uh, in the off season. But there have been some good trades like that over the years that have helped both teams, right? I, I mean... Um, I'm trying to remember, you know, T.J. Oshie for Troy Brower. Now, obviously, I think we can agree that Washington got the better of that. But Troy Brower brought some elements to St. Louis that I think helped that room sure. and, yep. and changed the mix a bit. And you may remember, you and I used to always talk about some of the trades that Doug Armstrong made to sort of change, just shake the apple cart a bit, right? Remember when the Blues are still struggling to get over the hump? For sure. Well, they end up Shot- winning a cup or, last yeah. year. And I think it doesn't happen without some of those, without Doug Armstrong being willing to, to do some apples for apples trades to, to shake up his roster right. at times
0: yeah no i think you're absolutely right and i and you're right you do and he's talked very candidly about you know trading kevin shattenkirk and you're right tj oshi and sort of you know you, you're you right you just yeah and i guess that's where you, if you're you have to trust your gut as a gm and and your management team and your scouts and you say well you know like johnny gaudreau is an interesting guy like i it was interesting to listen to him, you know, talk afterwards and he loves being in Calgary, wants to be part of it. But my sense is, you know, when he was asked some questions about how he felt that he and his line mates had played, they had zero five on five points in that series against Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just seemed, I don't know. It just seemed it, like And it got me,
1: and I think it really what really got exposed is that it was in that moment after Matthew Kachuk was injured that they really needed those right. guys to step up. Right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you. So, I'm, and, the, and your question was so good, we're still talking about it. But I think, so the other side of the coin, then, I'm fascinated to see, like, uh, I just was so impressed with that Montreal Canadiens team. And, uh, you know, whether it was Nick Suzuki or Kokniemi or Lockett. La- uh, the, the, i'm I'm gonna mispronounce it the other fin there Terry le thank you um and actually some of the you know some of the young guys on the on the blue line it was so much fun to watch them L- listen they were the better team really for a lot of that series against Philly and were it not for carter Hart I think man we might be talking still about the halves playing but that was it was fun to watch them and you wrote about this as well this notion that you know ha- okay, have they really accelerated? Like, next year and, you know, whether it's guys like uh, Thomas Tatar or Jeff Petrie who are, will be entering contract years and were part of the trade d- deadline discussion for the Habs this year, should they move them? Um, like, d- to me, is this a team... Like, I think they should be able to... I think the expectations are that this team now should take another step forward. Like, I think they should yeah. be a playoff team next year. But I that's... I think what you're asking is, was it real? And uh, But I, I I would think when I look at the Canadians, I'm like, yeah, I think that's real. And I, I like what Chicago has done. I like what we saw from a lot of those young players and got that experience. And um, I I, I think it would be disappointing if they're not a playoff team next year based on what we saw. But yeah, I guess I, that's I mean, a question
1: now. You know, there are things to debate here, but there are some things that you can't. And the one thing you can't debate is no one benefited more from an organization's point of view, from return to play, than Chicago and Montreal, who frankly should not have returned to play. <laughs> and right.
0: Yeah, exactly. But
1: but they did. It wasn't their choice. It's not like they were begging the league to get into this tournament. And, um, and they made the most out of it with both their upset wins. But forget that part. And the debate part is whether you think they're that much more far ahead than they really are. I think you can make strong arguments on the either side of that. But what you can't debate... Is that you got all these young kids on Chicago and and some young players in Montreal as well who got their first real taste of playoff hockey um, as an unbelievable bonus that it might have had to wait till next year or the year after the year after that for that moment to happen for the first time in their careers and instead they got it now, that is immeasurable, that is gigantic and you know um, you know someone else said this to me about Chicago and Montreal but he said from another team, he said, you know, for, he goes, here's what happens when you have your offseason meetings, you're all the front office, you all sit around the table and you have to have really honest conversations about where you are in a, as an organization. And you go player by player and you say, how do we feel about him? Do we really think he can step in and be, you know, uh, you know, put him in this part of the lineup next year? If not, we got to go out and do this. Well, he said, imagine Montreal now having that conversation compared to back in April. Kakaniemi is still in Laval in April. Suzuki's having a wonderful rookie year, but never played a playoff game. So if you're having that conversation then at the pause about where Suzuki and Kakaniemi are in the lineup next year, you're hoping for good things, but do you trust it? Do you know for sure that those guys are ready? Now, after 10 playoff games, you absolutely know that Kakaniemi and Suzuki have earned top three center jobs on that team going into next year along with veteran Philippe Deneau, and you're suddenly, as an organization that's been screaming for help at centre for 20 years, you're feeling pretty good about Suzuki, Kakaniemi, and Deneau down the middle. You could not have felt that good in April if you're the Montreal Canadiens because you just didn't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, listen, it's, it's all about continued evolution. It's all about continuing to take a step forward. And just before, we're going to take one more break and then wrap things up. But, you know, the team that I was interested in, you know, I'm I'm wondering how the the disappointment will, what kind of ripple effect there will be, because it, when you look at a team like the Carolina Hurricanes and everyone loved them and you know they mauled the Rangers in three straight games and you know they just they they play such an exciting brand and it's just they're a, they're a fun team right they get really good you know fun players and and man they could not there was barely a pulse. Uh, against the Boston Bruins. And that's a credit to Boston. They they ran that series, and it was a mm-hmm. schooling, right? I mean, the the Canes got schooled. Now it's two years in a row. They swept them in the East Final a year ago, and now they beat them in five games. And, and again, that flattered the Canes, frankly. Um, but I wonder, and to me, that will be the interesting thing. Did those kids, Sebastian Aho and Tavo Taravine and Andrei Svetryakov was hurt at the end of it, but Martin Nekash, uh, there were players who, you know, some of them looked a bit out of place there. And I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe the the opposite side of the coin that you're talking about is when they come back and now Justin Williams, let's assume he is going to retire, you know, okay, do those young players learn from that beatdown about what it takes? And maybe it's next year that that Canes team under Rod Brindamore is like, we're going to remember that and we're not going to go through that again. So I, that, that, I'm curious about that team, mm-hmm. sort of the opposite side of that learning core. Points.
1: Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty bullish on their future. I, I love where that program is headed. But I, I've written this and I I don't mean to be disparaging, but that team does not win a cup with Murazik and Reimer as a tandem in goal. And that's not why they lost to Boston. I mean, I thought, you know, each guy got some some time in that series. I thought they were fine. It wasn't about goaltending, but I'm just saying in the big picture, forget the Boston series, but look at the entire path here forward. I don't think you win the cup with that tandem. I think you can win the cup with one or the other matched up with an upgrade. And, you know, that's why I love the idea of Robin Leonard ending up in Carolina in a multi-year deal. Uh, It just so happens the Hurricanes actually talked to his agent last summer when we had the whole musical chair thing happening with all the UFA goalies, ended up resigning Mrazek instead. But you give me Leonard Mrazek or Leonard Reimer, and with that amazing blue line of theirs, I like their chances a lot better at that point. And again, it's not why they lost to Boston. I don't think the goaltending was was terrible. But in, again, more looking forward here. That's got to be a, an area that the Hurricanes try and address. And I know they've talked about it internally.
0: See, and that's why you're such a pro, because this allows me to circle back as we clo- You know, we bring this the two-man advantage to a close. And we're going to take a very brief break, but don't go away. We'll be right back. You mentioned Robin Leonard. Uh, he's facing a another potential unrestricted free agent in Jacob Markstrom. You mentioned he was so good. He had 21 stops in the second period last night, as, as we talked about the Canucks even that series. Both those guys are going to be UFAs. I'm curious to see as this series goes along. Listen, Jacob Markstrom is going to be the guy. He's going to—I'll be shocked if he doesn't play— every game even when they get to the back-to-back moments but I'm wondering what Pete DeBoer does now and not that I didn't think Robin Leonard was really at fault right I mean a couple there's some power play goals I mean the, the Patterson goal in tight is unbelievable like it that wasn't Robin Leonard's loss really but you do have Marc Andre Fleury there, but you also have this sort of weird narrative that, <laughs> you know, preceded the start of this series. Oh, my you know, goodness. Leonard pitches a shutout in game one. But I wonder what, like, it, it is interesting now if you're Pete DeBoer, you know, like you've had all this stuff go on. You've been asked about it. Marc Andre Fleury has addressed it. But if you make a goaltending change, are you, you know, is there a danger that you're like, are you doing this? Because the agent tweeted out a an incredible picture of Mark andre Fleury with a giant sword with your name on it I mean I don't know what it, do you how do, what do you make of the whole goaltending dynamics in that series now that it's 1-1 Well,
1: maybe Pete DeBore will reach out to Alan Walsh and sort of pick his brain about his goalie decision moving forward here but um <laughs> what a sideshow that was and oh my uh, gosh um <laughs> listen because of the compressed nature of the schedule uh, in this bubble playoff, and the league is, is going to try and just eat up games and dates at an accelerated yeah, sure. rate here if they can, because the players want to get out of that bubble. There's going to be back-to-backs, a lot of threes and fours, and I, I, I just feel that the opportunity was going to be there eventually for Flurry to play again anyway, regardless of Leonard's performance, because um, right. you don't want to ride Leonard to the ground, and you have a luxury that other teams don't have. To As an example, I think... I don't know that the Canucks feel they can not have Markstrom in that every game, but Vegas does have that luxury. So, you know, is this the right time or, you know, do you feel that you'd be given into some of the, you know, some of this weird narrative? I don't think Pete DeBoer gives a crap about any of that. I think he'll do what he feels is right right now. And maybe the opportunity is right. And you know how much the players on that team love Marc Andrew Fleur, right? Um, So it could be a nice little rallying cry. But if he goes back to Leonard, that's fine too. And he's earned it. Um, it's, it's nice to know that you can't make a, a bad decision there with those two goalies. Uh, as, as for their futures, I mean, I, I delved into this last week. But, you know, Markstrom's the number one rated guy on that market, followed by Leonard, And then you have a whole bunch of guys from Crawford to Hulby to Huboden who's fashioning his own tail. Uh, kind of a interesting, yeah, UFA goalie market. Uh, Cam Talbot. Lots of guys. But I think for Markstrom, and maybe I'm being naive now, listen, the, the discussions between Newport and, and, and the Canucks didn't go particularly well, I don't think, before the pause. I think they're, they were, from what I understand, clearly on a different wavelength, uh, you know, as far as term and money and maybe even some of the no move, no trade protection uh, with Seattle in mind. A lot of different factors go into those conversations. But a lot has changed since then, too, right? I, I mean, I've said this a bunch of times on Vancouver Radio over the past week, but the, the Canucks playoff run itself, how could it not help bring both sides together in some ways? In the sense that if you're Markstrom, there's no question there, there's more money elsewhere than in Vancouver where they have cap issues and they got to eventually re-sign all, those, all their other young stars. That's just the reality, that he could make more elsewhere. Could he be happier elsewhere? Does this run by this young Canucks team not tell Jacob Markstrom, what am I even thinking of leaving here? Um, I don't know. I can't answer it. I don't know the guy uh, to, to get into his mind that way. But I know that if I was Jacob Markstrom, man, if it means an extra million a year, to go play on the team that doesn't have the future of the Vancouver Canucks, I might be kicking myself. I mean, that's that's sort of where I'm at right now. I just wonder if this playoff run itself, the Canucks know they need him. You know, how do you replace Jacob Markstrom for the Vancouver Canucks right now? But Markstrom may need the Canucks is what I'm saying. So maybe this run itself and this realization that they've taken a giant step in their evolution as a contender, maybe that brings both sides together.
0: Right. No, I think it's a fascinating thing. And, you know, we've talked about how with the flat cap and and all the things that are going on as a result of the pause and the coronavirus and the uncertainty moving forward, you know, when when do we start next season? Will there be fans in the arenas? All those kinds of things. But there <clears throat> there will be teams, and I think you've hit on this. I mean, whether it's uh, Robin Leonard or Jacob Markstrom, there are a couple of teams, and, and I think Caroline is a perfect example of that, and if markstrom doesn't stay in vancouver it, it, the pressure on jim benning to make an adequate replacement because of the arc that this team is on well, you know, what you know there and the other teams edmonton what do you do there great you know superstars but is your goaltending good enough no i it's clearly not good enough mm-hmm. so it, it, uh, to me the goaltending thing, the market is is going to be so interesting this summer because in general you would think there's not a ton of money to be spent mm-hmm. because of the flat cap but there are going to be teams who say, if we do this, this might change, you know, if you're I am with you on Carolina. If if Jacob Markstrom is with the Carolina Hurricanes, the sky's the limit, right? I mean, or mm-hmm. if it's Robin Leonard. i so yeah, no, I I and, and don't forget there's the trade
1: route too for teams looking to upgrade. I mean, you know, where does Matt Murray end up? I mean, that's gonna be fascinating. Yes. He's he's younger than all those UFA goalies, right? He's 26, he's won two cups. Yep. Um, but you have to give up something to get them, whereas you can get the UFA goalies for nothing. So that's you know, and and that unfortunately is probably a bigger factor for Jim Rutherford and the Penguins as far as what they get back in a goalie trade, right? Goalie trades are so finicky by nature. They they so often make no sense. Sometimes you get great value because because it was the perfect storm, and then there are other times where you just caught the the the, mar- the market timing was wrong, and you you know, Tampa Bay ended up getting. Not a whole lot for Ben Bishop, right? Remember, it was just so bizarre that everyone knew Ben Bishop was still a really good goalie, but they had Vasilevsky, so they have to get rid of him. And in the end of the day, through no fault of Steve Yzerman and Lighting at the time, he can't force a goalie market. It is what it is. There's only 60 jobs, and it just weren't that many teams stepping up at that particular time. He ends up, as we know, going to Dallas, and uh, but actually got traded to L.A., And the the one prospect they got in that deal was just turned into a regular player for them as Chernak. But at the time, I don't know that you'd be sure of that, right? It was interesting. And then of course he uh, ends up in Dallas, but you you don't always, and and people forget about this. Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been so good in Vegas since day one of that franchise. People forget that, you know, because the Penguins, (laughs) that's sort of history repeating itself right now, because the Penguins just could not afford to keep Flurry and Murray past that cup year into the Vegas expansion, they had to pay Vegas to take Flurry. Yes. <laughs> like that was a deal that was cooked in March, but announced in June. And again, Pittsburgh made the right choice here because in, in making the deal and paying a second round pick to Vegas to take Flurry, it ensured the Penguins that they could balance their books, but also make sure they didn't lose anyone else from their roster. But again, Think about that for a second. You had teams like Philadelphia and Calgary that were clamoring, as it turns out, in that offseason to get in on a flurry bidding war. And then they soon realized, oh, it's too late. There's already a cooked deal with Vegas. But again, hard to predict three months later, right? It's it just the, the trading of a goalie has always been one of the most bizarre things in, in, in the history of our league.
0: Well, and, and you're right, because in a year from, well, probably. A year from right now right i mean depending on when the next season starts and when the actual expansion draft happens i mean what are we guessing early august next year i mean who knows when seattle expansion draft will actually happen but there will be teams who have to grapple with those kinds of goaltending mm-hmm. issues i mean you mentioned you know pittsburgh's already made it clear jim rutherford you know he's so i just it's so much fun to you know to deal with Jim Rutherford who is so com- transparent and honest yes he's going to have to trade Tristan Jari or Matt Murray that's going to have to happen
1: Mur- Murray's and, the guy when talking to other teams around the league yes. Scotty, Murray's the guy yeah, who's for sure. in play yeah
0: right yeah. yeah so yeah no it's and so we're gonna have, it's gonna be great because that drama will unfold on some levels for a number of teams as they try and wrestle with the goaltending situation vis-a-vis the expansion draft so mm-hmm. yeah good times Pal, you were, at, you were at the top of your game. Even the, the threat of a lawsuit hanging over our heads here. <laughs> I thought that we have done yeoman work here today. So nice, nice job by you. Um, I think,
1: you know, at the very least, if you don't want me to sue you, you should probably at least not play the Brass Bonanza when I'm not on. You should give no, that some <laughs> thought, actually.
0: well i do appreciate you retweeting every morning even though i do remind you every morning to do it and i gotta tell you it's been fun it's been fun to you know get caught up and listen anytime you want to get up and come on you can right there's nothing stopping you i've just given you a break so because i know you're busy all right. And also, speaking of pods, uh, you should check out Jonah Siegel and James Myrtle as they dissect the Kasperi Kapanen trade to Pittsburgh and all the fallout from Toronto on a new edition of the Leaf Report this week on The Athletic. Katie Strang and Richard Deitch are with Craig Custance on the full 60 to discuss the ever-changing hockey TV broadcasting landscape. And you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash two man advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And now I could let you read this part, but you should always remember to join me tomorrow morning. First thing in the morning for another playoff edition of Two Man Advantage on Thursday. Pierre, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for such yeoman work. Right on, right on, brother.